0: Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk tonight about two different topics. The first one is about brotherly love. And as we're reading the story of Joseph, which we start this week and will continue for several weeks, we, we see that there are challenges in the family. There's sibling rivalry and there's hostility. There's misunderstanding, there's even hatred. And it's something that God wants to deal with in the people Israel, and he wants to show us how important it is to get beyond those attitudes and beyond those behaviors in order to learn to do good, not just for yourselves, but for others as well. And the story of Joseph is so fascinating. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, Genesis chapter 37. And I'll just read a few verses for tonight. It says, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a foreigner in the land of Canaan. And this has been the history of Jacob. And then it switches right over to Joseph. And it says, Joseph being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. A bad report. It may not have been that he was lying. It may not have been that he was exaggerating. He just said bad stuff about his brothers. And look on verse 3. Now Israel, this is Jacob, his father, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And also, he made him a tunic of many colors. And there are some different understandings of this tunic. One translation is of many colors. Another translation is a long sleeved tunic. Isn't that interesting? But in either case, these tunics that, that that are like what Joseph had, did have a lot of color and they had long sleeves and they were worn by those who were designated as the princes of a tribe. So based on that we could say that Jacob had elevated Joseph above the firstborn son and above the elder brothers and so the, the other brothers had a special fondness for Joseph. So he made him a tunic of many colors, verse four, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably to him. Isn't that a, like such a concise description? They couldn't speak peaceably to him. They couldn't even talk normally to him. So Joseph Joseph had to deal with this. Jacob had a sense of Joseph's calling, that it was a high calling. And Joseph himself had a sense of his own calling. But as you follow the story and you see that even with spiritual gifts like interpreting dreams and things like that, and even though the sense of calling may have been accurate, we can see through the events we read about, that Joseph did not have much sense at all about brotherly love. In fact, the other sons of Israel did not have much sense about brotherly love. You could say none of them had any good sense about brotherly love. What united the other brothers was their hatred of Joseph. We learn from the life of Joseph that sometimes we have to go down before we can rise up. Sometimes we have to suffer in order to have the character formed in us that will actually enable us to accomplish good in life. So you may have been experiencing suffering in your life and wondering why, and one of the reasons is this, that we go through challenges and difficulties that form our character, and they're hard. But if it wasn't hard, if it were, were easy, then it wouldn't form the character that we need. As we'll read in the weeks to come, Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers who hate him. He ends up in Egypt and there he ultimately has success and he has power. But even so, he arrives as a slave and he experiences injustice and the unfairness of life, unjust accusations and imprisonment, and he's even accused of sexual assault But it turns out his accuser was the one who was trying to assault him. Those were two particularly great difficulties for him. And then we'll read that he's raised up by the hand of God in the fullness of time. That's very important. Say this with me. In the fullness of time. Have you ever prayed, Lord give me patience right now? We have this desire to quickly, even immediately, get through whatever challenges are in front of us. Mothers know that it's in the fullness of time that you carry a child and give birth. You don't want to give birth after the first month. It takes time. Life is like that. But Joseph, Joseph goes down and then God raises him up. And he's elevated, think about this, he's elevated to prominence, he's elevated to power, he's elevated to authority, he even has fame. And he's successful. If you're only praying for success, you may find you have to go down first in order to go up for success. But even though Joseph became successful, and he was instrumental in helping Egypt and the surrounding nations through famine and food shortages, even though he had all this success, Joseph still had to make room in his heart for brotherly love. And that was not easy. The challenge to love his brothers may have been the greatest challenge that he faced. And I think this helps us understand a challenge we all face to show brotherly love that is sincere and authentic. There's always a temptation to uh, want to vindicate ourselves, to see those who oppose us be the ones who are humbled. Very rarely do we say, Lord, people have something against me. Humble me. We want them to be humbled. But in fact, for Joseph... He had to deal with his own temptations. As we study the life of Joseph, these issues will come into clarity. And I think it helps us understand what Yeshua taught and even commandments that he added that speak to this. This commandment, love your enemies, that Yeshua gave, it's it's not really in Tanakh. It's one of his commands. That's a new covenantal one. And he basically says anybody can love their friends. That's normal. Love your enemies. Anyone can bless their friends, bless your enemies. And when I read that sometimes, I I want to go blah, blah, blah to it. I want to skip over it, because it can be hard. Have, Have you found that? It's hard to have that kind of attitude. And then Yeshua said, I give to you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Don't love one another the way your family loved you. Even if they loved you well, that's not the highest standard. The highest standard is how Yeshua loves us. If you love one another, he said, then all will know that we are his disciples. And I can tell you this, neither of these are easy commandments. They're very difficult commandments. And we will suffer in order to learn these. So that's an introduction to the story of Joseph, and then I want to switch over to a second topic which is Jerusalem. Can you say Jerusalem with me? Jerusalem. There you go. Okay. If you've been following the news, you know people are talking about Jerusalem these days. How many of you have been following the news? That's good. But I I do wanna say something, the politics of all this is tricky. And it's unpredictable. And the nature of politics is like the nature of war. You never know how someone's gonna react. You can prepare for one reaction, you can be surprised by what they actually do. So I don't wanna speak so much about politics in general or or that, but I I do want to give you solid ground to stand on. And I think we can be on really solid ground if we have three positions about Israel. I want to clarify um, them and really talk about them. The first one is this. Israel is the Jewish homeland and it has an unconditional right to exist. That's point number one. Point number two, just like any other country, Israel has a right to safe, secure borders and the right to defend her citizens. And the third Simple point is, and this is just a fact, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. That's a simple fact. It is the capital. Ever since Israel's been a state, or whenever Israel was a state, Jerusalem was the capital. And Jerusalem not only is the capital now, it has been the capital. And those are just facts. Now, if we can affirm those three points, then we can have meaningful discussion about how to proceed to move forward with political peace, which is not so easy. And it's made more complicated um, by the Middle Eastern situation right now of instability where governments all over the Middle East are being um, overtaken by terrorists. And countries that once were stable are not stable, they're threatened by terrorist groups that want to take over the government. It happened in Egypt through a democratic process that had to be reversed. It's happened in Syria, in Iraq, in Iran. It's happening in Yemen, has happened in Yemen. And it's happening in, among the Palestinians. So that makes it all the more complicated, and I'm no expert on how to deal with these things, but I have some idea how to talk to people about these issues, even when they disagree. Now, if if those three points cannot be affirmed, this is what I found out, it's impossible to move forward in a political process or in a reasonable discussion with someone. And if those three points are affirmed, you can actually have some interesting discussion about what to do in light of the reality of the situation there. So this is why I can say I I take three positions. I'm going to just restate what I said earlier, but in personal positions, and I encourage you. to to listen to this podcast and take notes because these details will really help you when you're you're talking about this. The, The first statement is this, I unconditionally support Israel's right to exist as a state and as the Jewish homeland. I unconditionally support Israel's right to exist as a state and as the Jewish homeland. That's the first thing. The second statement is about my position is this, I unconditionally support Israel's right to safe, secure borders and the right to defend herself and her citizens. I unconditionally support Israel's right to safe, secure borders and the right to defend herself and her citizens. In the third statement, I unconditionally support Israel's right to locate her capital in the seat of her government in Jerusalem. I unconditionally support Israel's right to locate her capital in the seat of her government in Jerusalem. And though I personally believe that God has given the land of Israel to the Jewish people, that God has made a promise, and I believe the Bible is explicit about that. I can support my position not only from the Bible, but from all rational thought, normal rational thought. What does it mean to be a sovereign state in this world? It means that you have a right to exist, and it means that you have a right to safe and secure borders, and you have a right to defend your citizens. And it also means that you have a right to set up your government where you choose, no other country can tell a sovereign country where, what city their capital can be. No, one, no, no state has the right to dictate that to another state. These are normal, normal rights for every state. Can you imagine if any other country were to say to the United States, you know what? You have no right to Washington, D.C. We don't like it. You have to move it. We would laugh. We would think, are you out of your mind? When people avoid these three points and they wanna talk about minutia, often it's because they don't agree with these three points. And don't get, I wanna encourage you, don't get lost in other lesser issues. I I can talk with anyone who agrees to these three positions no matter what their other political positions may be. And I've had many times where people are picking on Israel as if Israel is the only nation on earth that should be perfect spiritually. But no nation on earth is perfect spiritually. And there are times when people are, you know, like, I don't know. Do you ever get into arguments with people about Israel? It's not difficult, especially in these days. But rather than get into an argument, I like to start by saying, well, let me tell you what I believe and tell me if you agree. Do you believe that Israel has a right to exist as a state? Do you believe that Israel has a right to safe and secure borders? And if they say no, then you can say, then there's nothing left to talk about. And if the answer is yes, then you can say, okay, so if some other country is sending rockets into their territory, do they have a right to defend themselves? Of course they do. Whether you like how they choose to defend themselves, that's your opinion, and we can talk about that. But Israel has a right to defend them themselves. If, if uh, who would be a country that would want to send missiles to Jacksonville right now? North Korea, yeah. Georgia. Let's say Georgia goes nuts and, and wants to attack Florida. Do we have a right to defend ourselves as a, as a state against another state? Of course we would. Tallahassee and Gainesville, well they're always fighting each other. (laughs) I have noticed that people hide their objections to these three rights. In fact, people often don't think that Israel has a right to exist. That's why they don't think that Israel has a right to defend herself. And that's why whenever Israel does defend herself, they want to explain how wrong Israel is but every country has a right to defend themselves. That's just the nature of being a country. If if you're going to be a country, you've got to be prepared to defend your citizens. What kind of country would it be that wouldn't defend their own citizens? Yeah, a country that used to be. That's what it would be. So when people hide their true positions, I I try to get them surfaced because I don't want to be snared by them. Having said that, there's all this argument about Trump's decision, which has several parts to it if you're unfamiliar. One part is he's recognizing that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And as far as I'm concerned, that's not a big deal, that's a fact. And I wanna give you a little history about that so that you can understand that it's not a partisan issue and if anybody wants to reduce it to partisanship, um, they don't know the facts of American government and the legislation that the American government has uh, passed uh, in a bipartisan way since 1995 and even before that. So if if people just wanna attack Trump, then, you know, you can understand, some people just want to attack whoever they want to attack, and this would be one more reason. I'm, I'm of the mind that it's good to know the facts before you start attacking in these situations, so you should know what, what has already been decided, and, and so forth. So um, I, I, I do want to tell you one thing that I found interesting Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, declared yesterday that he's talking with several countries that may follow President Trump's lead in recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital. But that's how the Jewish National Service wrote it. But the language is not correct. Recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital. That's not new. What's new is the idea of taking steps to actually put the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. There's already a consulate there, did you know that? The U.S. government already has an official presence. The U.S. government has a 99 year lease on property to build an embassy in Jerusalem. They haven't done it yet. But Donald Trump is not the first one to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. So if people are saying it's provocative to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, I think that's ridiculous. Can I say it like that? It's ridiculous because it's just a fact. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Where is the Knesset? It's in Jerusalem. Where is the seat of government for Israel? It's in Jerusalem. Since when? Since Israel was a sovereign state. Okay, so there are people that don't want to acknowledge it and they think that uh, the Jewish people shouldn't be there. But if you press those people, they don't think the Jewish people should be anywhere. So Netanyahu said, I would like to announce that we're already in contact with other countries that plan to issue a similar recognition. I have no doubt that the moment the American embassy moves to Jerusalem and even before then, this is Netanyahu, There will be a movement of many embassies to Jerusalem. The time has come. So following Trump's announcement, the Philippines and several countries in Africa that are predominantly Christian, reportedly uh, said that they would mirror the US move. And on Wednesday, the Czech Republic recognized Western Jerusalem as the capital of Israel but conditioned the relocation of its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem upon the results of Israeli-Palestinian negotiations. But here's what I can't understand. What's the controversy about Jerusalem being the capital? It already is the capital. It's childish to act like it's not. Now the other thing that that I want to equip you with And mind you, what I'm saying here, this is not Bible, this is just reality. Because I wanna equip you with um, familiarity with the resolution that the United States Senate passed unanimously in June of this year. Unanimously, there were 90 people who voted and unanimous means all 90 voted in favor of this resolution without any amendment, without any adjustment. Okay, so 90 senators, all the ones who voted, agreed to this resolution. Would you call that bipartisan? It's bipartisan, yeah. It's both sides are agreeing to this. So, so let me read to you this resolution. It was Senate Resolution 176. And this is from the US Senate official documents. But it's useful to know this. So it's a resolution commemorating the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. That's interesting. Of the reunification of Jerusalem. That's an important word. Say reunification. Reunification. And it reads, whereas June 2017 marks the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War and the reunification of the city of Jerusalem. Whereas there has been a continuous Jewish presence in Jerusalem for three millennia, whereas Jerusalem is a holy city and the home for people of the Jewish, Muslim, and Christian faiths, whereas for 3,000 years, Jerusalem has been Judaism's holiest city and the focal point of Jewish religious devotion, whereas from 1948 to 1967, Jerusalem was a divided city and Israeli citizens of all faiths, as well as Jews of all nationalities, were denied access to holy sites in eastern Jerusalem, including the old city in which the Western Wall is located. Whereas in 1967, Jerusalem was reunited by Israel during the conflict known as the Six-Day War. Whereas since 1967, Jerusalem has been a united city and persons of all religious faiths have access two holy sites within the city. These are a lot of whereass. Whereas this year marks the 50th year that Jerusalem has been administered as a united city in which the rights of all faiths have been respected and protected. Whereas, and this is important, this detail, the Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995. You might want to write that down the Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995, which became law on November 8, 1995, states that Jerusalem should remain the undivided capital of Israel in which the rights of every ethnic and religious group are protected. So when was this law passed in the United States? 1995, is that before Trump? Yes. Is that before Obama? Yes. It's before Clinton? Well, it's his time. Clinton and Bush. Whereas, this is the last whereas, it is the long-standing policy of the United States government that a just resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict can only be achieved through direct bilateral negotiations without preconditions for a sustainable two-state solution. Now Now therefore be it resolved that the Senate, this is the Senate of the United States, number one, recognizes the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem and extends its friendship and hopes for peace to the residents of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. Number two, reaffirms its support for Israel's commitment to religious freedom and administration of holy sites in Jerusalem. Number three, continues to support strengthening the mutual beneficial American-Israeli relationship. Number four, commends Egypt and Jordan, former combatant states of the Six-Day War, who in subsequent years embraced a vision of peace and coexistence with Israel, and have continued to uphold their respective peace agreements. Number five, reaffirms that it is the longstanding bipartisan policy of the United States government that the permanent status of Jerusalem remains a matter to be decided between the parties through final status negotiation towards a two-state solution. And number six, here's the last detail, reaffirms the Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995 as United States law and calls upon the president and all United States officials to abide by its provisions. So 90 to 0 all voting senators agreed with this. It wasn't that the Republicans alone or the Democrats alone. They all agreed. It was one of the few things that they did that they all agreed on and that they were unanimous. And what they were saying through this should be really clear to us. They were saying that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And they were saying the United States Embassy should be moved to Jerusalem. That was decided in 1995 by the United States government in a bipartisan decision without a significant disagreement. Um, Something like 95% of all of the legislators who voted, voted in favor of recognizing Jerusalem as the capital and and, and moving the embassy of America to Jerusalem. So I want to equip you with that because I don't want you to get lost in arguments you can't win, but I want you to be able to um, convey facts to other people. And if people are saying, you know what, this is crazy, this is going to destabilize things, I would just say, why does it have to destabilize anything? Why? If it's going to destabilize things, better that it happen now than later. Let's deal with it now. Let's let's get it out in the open. If if there are people who are saying Israel doesn't have a right to exist and because you're affirming Israel's right to exist they want to to make trouble. I say, okay, be clear. Because you cannot be part of the peace process. You can't be even normal in the political process because you refuse to acknowledge the right of the other side. I know this part of the message is not a biblical message. But I can tell you this, if you don't know the facts and you don't know where you stand on these matters, you won't be able to talk to people who have different opinions. And you know what will happen? You'll either say something stupid because you don't know the facts or you won't say anything because you're afraid of what people will say. And I want you not to be afraid. I want you to be convincing. I want you to be convinced. I want you to be strong. And I want you to have normal conversation because what will you do if someone says, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible, so I don't agree with you. And if you say, well, uh, tough, tough on you. Well, that's the end of the conversation. You have to learn how to talk to people who have all different kinds of viewpoints. What about about a Muslim who's uh, struggling about some issues? Can you talk to such a person? You should be able to without going to war with them. And the reason I want to make a connection between this and the story of Joseph is it's hard to show brotherly love. It's hard to show brotherly love to people who are in opposition to you. It's hard to show brotherly love when people are mistreating you or they're arrogant or they're acting in stupid ways. But you know what? The call to show brotherly love is a high calling. It's a messianic calling and it, the world needs people who can show brotherly love even in the midst of conflict like this. So I want to encourage you, when you're reading the story of Joseph and you're reading the news reports, see the connection and ask the Lord to give you what you need. You don't just need to be the best arguer, debater. You don't just need uh, to be standing firm in your position. You need brotherly love in order to have an impact on people who can be reached with brotherly love but can't be reached without it. And since Yeshua said the whole world will know you're my disciples if you love one another the way I loved you and love you, do love you, then we should take that very seriously. So with that in mind, I want to pray. I want to pray for the state of Israel. Please join me, our Father in heaven, rock and redeemer of the people Israel, bless the state of Israel with its promise of redemption and shield it with your love and spread over it the shelter of your peace. Guide its leaders and advisors with your light and your truth and help them with your good counsel. Strengthen the hands of those who defend our holy land. Deliver them, crown their efforts with triumph, bless the land with peace and its inhabitants with lasting joy and let us say together, amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Don't forget to RSVP for the Hanukkah party next week. Please rise and if you're standing by yourself, if you wouldn't mind moving over, so you're not all alone. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.